0: Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hello everyone. In today's podcast, I talk to Adrian Bethune, who's a primary teacher, wellbeing expert and author of an award-winning book, Wellbeing in the Primary Classroom, a practical guide to teaching happiness. We discuss many important topics and tips around supporting children's and teachers' well-being. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, Adrian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Right, so let's kick off by asking you what you think are the key issues at the moment for well-being and happiness in schools, particularly primary schools? Um, I think
1: two of the key issues are a lack of pleasure and purpose and I use those two words because a definition of happiness that I really like comes from a well-being expert called Professor Paul Dolan and he says that your happiness is your experience of pleasure and purpose over time and from my perspective as a teacher I'm kind of finding more and more that there's an innate lack of pleasure and purpose in teaching like teachers are expected to do more kind of non-teaching tasks that we know are kind of meaningless and it's filling in data sheets or ticking meaningless boxes and that feeds down into the curriculum as well so that, so i think there's a bit of a lack of pleasure and purpose that it's not innate and that teachers have to, and heads have to consciously bring that to life mm. some of the key issues are increased sedentary behavior in schools so We know that young children are not getting anywhere near as much physical activity as they Mm. should be. One of the places that children spend some of the most time sedentary, like sitting down, is in schools. And we know as well from the data from the Youth Sports Trust that children are doing less and less PE in schools. So we're kind of reducing their movement and activity even more. I don't think there's enough focus on the importance of relationships and how fundamental they are to learning and, and well-being, that it's, you know, with this move towards a focus by people like Ofsted on curriculum Mm. in some regards that's really good in others it's just that's the focus and we forget about the fact that there are human beings in our schools and how we nurture those relationships between Teachers and children, between children and children, between teachers and teachers, that's mm. crucial.
0: Looking at children in particular though, what are some of the other reasons, the main reasons why you think children's mental health is on the decline, for, for certain children anyway?
1: I think one of the first things to say is that my perception or my ideas are just that, that, that there's actually a lack of good, robust evidence for the reasons behind children's decline in mental health. So, for example, the statistic that you know one child in every 10 will have a diagnosable mental health mm-hmm. issue, that comes from data from 2005. So, that's one of the most commonly cited reports into children's mental health. The the most recent kind of big systematic review of children's mental health has come from NHS Digital in 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, it's been over a decade between that 2005 report and, and this latest mm. one. And experts in, in children's mental health like Professor Tamsin Ford at Exeter University has kind of said in a blog that I read recently that, you know, the fact that we've taken a decade before reviewing mm. this mental health kind of shows where we, how we view children's mental health in this country, that it's not given the priority that it perhaps should We don't know the causes of why children's mental health does appear to be declining but there are some clues such as the lack of physical activity because we know from the research that regular physical activity is profoundly important for your physical and mental health so if children are doing less and less activity and and The British Heart Foundation estimate that about 80% of children in England don't meet the minimum requirements of daily physical activity. I know,
0: I saw that. I've got children of my own and I found that shocking. And also the, the amount of exercise that a child should be doing. I don't know if a lot of us are aware of what the recommendations are. It's actually a lot more than, yeah. than you think, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's, it's an, a minimum of an hour daily, moderate to vigorous activity. Mm. So every single day, at least yeah. an hour. Social media does play a part. But from a perspective, yes, it can connect people and, and you know, mm. human connection is really important for well-being. But something that massively undermines human happiness is social comparison. When you compare yourself to someone else and you realise that your life is lacking compared to their amazing life. And so children are from a younger and younger age on devices where they can compare themselves to others. There are things like, you know, increasing levels of childhood poverty. So there are more and more children in the UK in, you know, extreme levels of poverty, and that's massively detrimental to to wellbeing and mental health. Children dealing with ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences, such as growing up in a home with alcohol abuse or domestic violence or parental separation, those things. And the studies show that more children have ACEs to deal with, the greater the increase of them developing mental illness. And finally, I think the data that shows how poor teachers' mental health is, that has an indirect and direct impact on children's mental health as well. Mm. You know, if the person, your role model at the front of the classroom is suffering Mm. with anxiety, stress, depression, it's going to have an effect on, Mm. on the children in their care as well. So I think those... Factors have a big role to play, but there's a lack of evidence to kind of pinpoint the exact reasons.
0: Yes. I mean, it's terrible to think of primary age. We're talking primary age children getting affected. But um, I read somewhere recently that mental illnesses, many of them start when... Children are quite young. I think Mm. it's pre-14 and it's, yeah, it's worrying. So it's very, we know it's a very important time for children. We want children to feel well, but why from a school point of view and a primary school, should we care whether a child is coming in and feeling content or Mm. is, you know, can handle the the adversities? Why worry about that?
1: Say from a purely learning perspective, then there's really good evidence that shows that good levels of well-being underpin academic learning. There was a report published by Public Health England called The Link Between Pupil Health, Well-Being and Attainment. Oh, right, yeah. And that showed that schools that put in place programs to develop children's social and emotional skills on average showed an 11% gain in attainment. Wow. There's also a big study carried out by uh, Dr. Alejandro Adler from University of Pennsylvania, where in his study, up to 8,000 students in Bhutan were taken part in this study and... Half the participants were taught a a well-being curriculum. And basically, not only did the well-being kind of curriculum intervention group show significant increases in their levels of well-being over the duration Mm. that the curriculum was taught, but also for the following year afterwards, but they also scored significantly higher on their standardised tests compared to the control group. When you focus on children's happiness and well-being, Mm. they learn better. They're able to focus better, they're able to pay attention, they're able to retain that information, they cope better with the stresses and challenges of school life. That's number one. The second one is that, you know, you ask any parent, you ask any teacher, like, what is it you most want for the children in your care? Very few people will say, I want them to be a doctor, I want them to be something very specific. Generally, we just want our children to grow up to be happy. Mm. And whatever that looks like for them, That's up to them, but we want them to be happy, content and living the life that they want Mm. to lead. Now, research shows that the strongest predictor of adult life satisfaction in childhood is the child's emotional health. The weakest predictor, according to this study by Professor Richard Layard, is the child's intellectual development. So essentially the grades they're getting in school. And subsequent research shows that actually the child's emotional health is significantly more important in terms of adult life satisfaction than any qualification that that child goes on to get Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter whether you go on to get a degree a master's a PhD your emotional health at 16 is the strongest predictive adult life satisfaction his research shows that schools and teachers have major impacts on the emotional health of the children in their care yeah so what Layard and his colleagues argue is that because children's happiness, well-being, emotional health is the strongest predictor of adult life satisfaction. Mm. Because we want children to grow up to be happy, because schools and teachers have major influences on their emotional health, that's where we should be investing a lot more time, energy and resources.
0: And as you say, it's win-win. If Mm. then it's linked to, in the end, better outcomes academically as well. And do you think less behavioural issues as well? Yeah. So, Um, So,
1: yeah, the Public Health England report showed that those social and emotional skills programs reduced Mm. incidences of negative behavior as well. Right, which is
0: distractions from, yeah carrying on with your learning. And I noticed in your book, you talked about flow, that deep Mm. state, Uh, but also you need to be mentally quite in the right zone don't you and if you've got troubles going on or you're very disturbed by something or you're Mm. upset it's very difficult to get or impossible to get into that state and that's where some really deep work can happen isn't Mm -hmm. it so I was very interested to read that okay so children need good mental health to adapt to life and also to enjoy themselves Mm -hmm. you mentioned teachers and as an ex-teacher you know I do go into school still but I know how important well-being is. The listeners, many of you will be teachers or head teachers. You will know why is it so important then mm. for teachers to feel well.
1: First of all, is that um, teachers are significant role models in their pupils' their students' lives. Um, there was a report in 2008 called the Foresight Mental Capital and Well-being mm. Project, and there was a section on education, and in it it said that teachers who are stressed or demoralised make poor role models for children. So I think, you know, first and foremost, before we teach any kind of curriculum, we, the way we behave, the way we talk, the way we act is having a major impact on the children in our care because we are significant role models in their mm-hmm. lives. And they look to us for, a, to set a good example. There's... Um, developmental psychologist called Professor Alison Gopnik and she says that children learn far more from their caregivers kind of unconscious behaviors than any of their conscious manipulations. I
0: hope you're going to say (laughs) give us some tips because I'm sure there'll be people listening thinking oh my gosh I'm you know uh, how did I come across in that week when I was struggling or yeah
1: the other thing is there's something called emotional contagion which is that moods are contagious so you know we know from scientific studies that Happiness spreads uh, mm. through friendship groups, through families, but equally the reverse is true, and that you know negative negative emotions can spread. So if I'm at the front of the classroom and I'm feeling stressed and under pressure, and I'm really mm. snappy and short with my class, mm. then that kind of spreads throughout my class as mm. well. The other thing is related to kind of teacher effectiveness, and that there are again studies that show that teachers that are suffering with poor mental health are less effective at their job. So they're not not only don't teach the curriculum the content as well as they could or respond to questions as well as they can things like that but also their concern for their students kind of has been shown to decline it's harder to be empathetic and be responsive if you're struggling and you're thinking about god i've got this Mm. performance management review coming up my class aren't performing well and Mm. You know, you're well, under pressure like that. I think
0: if you're a parent listening as well, you'll know what that feels like. It's, it's like an empty battery. You can't then, you haven't got any energy almost for yourself, let alone the people in, in your care. Mm. So, yeah, I can completely resonate with that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So in terms of so that, so teacher well-being is massively important because when we are healthier and happier, mm. we teach better, we mm. respond to our children better, we set a better example But it's really important that we are allowed to be human, Mm -hmm. that we're not trying to be perfect role models because that's inauthentic and it's impossible. And what I mean by that is as someone that tries to live and breathe what I write about in the classroom, like prioritizing my own mental health and well-being, things like that. There are times where I'm tired Mm. and I'm snappy and I'm irritable and I'm less responsive Mm. than I normally am and things like that. And although I do my best to mitigate that, it still happens. We can't always be amazing role models and really responsive and the best teachers we can be because, you know, I'm the dad of a 16-month-old son who doesn't sleep and there are times I go in to teach and I am shattered. Of course. And I'm not going to be as effective as if I've had a bit more sleep. But that's life and we need to we need to respect that all of our lives are complex and we just need to do the best we can do. And some days mm. we'll fall a bit short and other mm. days will be amazing. And that's maybe, okay.
0: Maybe behind this, we're thinking of the level of support that there is in the school and nationally for teachers. So if, if but if it's constantly you are under stress or you're struggling, there are you know, obviously, there are people you can talk to about that and go yeah. for help. But also, if um, the culture in the school needs to be supportive, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then teachers can have bad days or bad lessons, that's fine. But yeah. on the whole, if you're supported, then hopefully that teacher wellbeing will be at a higher level. Are there any particular needs you think for primary teachers?
1: I think so. I mean, my perception is that primary teachers are more heavily invested in their pupils' lives because you have one class, you're with them all day, every day, you get to know their families, you get to know their parents, their carers. And a downside of that is that if you have children that are struggling and dealing with some sometimes quite horrific stuff at home, it's very hard, if not impossible, to switch off from that when you're at home. The other thing I think, I've got secondary teachers that are friends, and when I tell them, how many lessons I have to teach and how much non-contact time I have. They just can't believe it. You know, from the moment you're in the classroom, you are teaching something, you're with a guided group, you're doing booster sessions. You know, I
0: can hear nodding uh, (laughs) through the microphone to the listeners here, because uh, if you're teaching currently or if you've ever taught in the past, you'll know what Adrian's Mm. talking about there. Going back to what you were saying earlier about teacher well-being, you have to look after your well-being so that doesn't impact on you in a negative way because your minds are buzzing. Mm. And that can easily tip over into stress, couldn't it, if you didn't keep it? that in check you know i'm hearing an awful lot about the particular well-being needs of head teachers and i wondered if you had any thoughts about that because not not an awful lot is talked about in terms of their well-being they're sort of the the captain of the ship they're soldiering yeah. on and in a way they've got to keep that persona mm. but they are still human and obviously a lot of them really struggle with their own well-being yeah
1: there was a, a report last year called the Teacher wellbeing Index. And in that, one of the most kind of insightful statistics was 60% of teachers experience stress, but it's 80% for senior leaders. Wow. SLT, head teachers are massively overlooked when we talk about teacher well-being. When I talk about teacher well-being, by teacher I mean every teacher within a school, including head teacher, mm. because they're under huge pressure themselves. Often I hear it more and more when I speak to head teachers some of them genuinely feel and it's, and it's probably on good basis that their jobs are at risk if they get a poor set of results or an Ofsted inspection doesn't go their way. I think as well, you know, when I talked at the beginning about lack of pleasure and purpose and pleasure and purpose being fundamental to our sense of happiness and, and well-being. that I think SLT and head teachers, when you are one or two steps removed from interacting with children... And you're having to spend your time doing stuff that is less meaningful and less enjoyable, such as attending meetings or paperwork. Yeah. But it's not meaningful. It doesn't directly positively impact children or the teachers in their mm. care. And I also think it takes really brave and courageous head teachers and senior leaders to do stuff differently and kind of buck the trend and not tick all of the boxes that most people are ticking. And so that that risk taking has a potential for increased stress because you're you're going out on a limb mm. to do stuff differently.
0: What we've found recently, when we talked to head teachers about, because obviously we we work in the world of curriculum, when they now feel that they can design and implement their own curriculum and develop a curriculum that's right for their school it's interesting you were saying about that meaning and purpose because in a way they're getting that through directly influencing how the children learn and you get immediate feedback is this working so we've been talking to senior leaders recently and they seem fired up it gets them back to doing what they love so we talked a lot adrian about the issues at the moment Adrian has written a book called The Wellbeing in the Primary Classroom. You know, I've been reading it and it's a very practical book because you you talk about the studies and the research behind the issues and then you offer tips and things to do in your classroom Mm. and they're not all massive changes. You can start small and that's really nice. That's quite doable. One big question I do hear from people is can you actually teach happiness because it's quite a transitory feeling isn't Mm. it
1: yeah you can there are top universities around the world that are studying what contributes to human well-being human flourishing so there's professor richie davidson he's he's like a world-leading neuroscientist he said that he and his colleagues research all point to the fundamental kind of conclusion that well-being is a skill that can be taught just like any other skill so it's no fundamentally no different to learning to play the cello that when you practice the skills of well-being you improve at yeah. well-being
0: I think this is quite new to people really the ideas in your book you've split them up it, it, you show the evidence for them and then you know it, it describe the tips and how to bring them into the classroom like the gratitude idea and there mm-hmm. are others that I'm sure you'll talk about so you can teach it you can teach tips for children to nurture and manage their own well-being
1: yeah on that point there's one mm-hmm. other expert I'd like to cite Professor Lori Santos at Yale University she she said that knowing what makes you happy has no impact on your levels of happiness whatsoever. Just knowing that isn't going to make you any happier. A bit like
0: being an armchair well-being expert, yeah. like an armchair cyclist, isn't exactly. it? You sort yeah. of know about. And,
1: and what she says is, you have to put that knowledge into action. Mm. So it's the practising of the skills, like Richie Davidson mm. said. Yeah, that's really fundamental to me. There's there's the knowledge that I think you can teach children. And I think that's an important aspect.
0: Yes, that was interesting, actually. You talk to children about the brain. I mean, and I agree with you. When you talk about the brain, they're fascinated by how Mm. how the brain works. I don't know. It distances them from their emotions. They can almost see the logic of where that's come from and what can influence things. And maybe opens up an avenue for them thinking, well, my brain's a plastic you know it Mm. can change and that's that's quite a step in the right direction
1: yeah and I think learning about yourself is one of the fundamental well should be a fundamental kind of bedrock of a good education is like learning knowing yourself yeah and I think when you teach about the brain or you teach about psychology and we understand ourselves better Mm. that is massively satisfying Because sometimes, and this is my own experience of kind of growing up, sometimes we have thoughts or feelings or we react in certain situations when other children don't. And we can kind of think we're a bit odd or that we... Why am I like this and no one else is like this? And when you learn about yourself and actually the more you talk about it, you realise actually I'm not alone in this and that this is quite a common way to think or to Mm -hmm. feel. That is massively empowering, you know, I'm different. And it actually creates a sense of belonging that actually what I'm experiencing Mm. is fundamental to being a human. The fact that, yeah, I do have this amygdala and when I feel affronted, I get really angry Mm. or I get really cross and I can't find it very hard to calm myself down. Well, that's because it's a massively powerful part of your brain and it's evolutionary designed that way Mm. to keep you alive. And it means, you know, if a teacher says something to us that we don't like, it can kick in. But knowing that and knowing how to manage that is hugely powerful and important for young people
0: you can't really make a change in someone unless they want to do it themselves you know no amount of telling a child to meditate if uh, unless they're actually really practicing it and mm. can notice the changes yeah it probably won't make as much impact just
1: on that point yeah. that I've just finished teaching in a year four class and I had a boy the diagnosis of autism very logical thinker but would anger very quickly mm. if you know things didn't go to plan or things didn't go his way or he felt affronted. When I taught, it was a mindfulness curriculum and we were learning about the amygdala and what it does and, and how to kind of manage it and through mindfulness techniques, that had a massive impact on his ability mm, to right. understand himself. Like he he would get angry in situations and then kind of get upset that he got angry. Mm. But just learning about this amygdala, he was able in situations to kind of say to an adult, I'm feeling my amygdala is kind of taking over. But but, but that's even great. that is he had so, some that's emotional self-regulation exactly. right there. He is not lashed out. He hasn't hit. That created a bit of space between his emotion and his reaction. And then he had a choice. Do I speak to an adult or right. do I thump this person in the face? Which is what he used to do.
0: He's been taught knowledge about the brain, scientific knowledge, which is then transferred into a skill in his life. Yeah. Something I'm interested in, you were just talking about that sense of belonging and otherness and feeling different. One of your groundwork exercises at the beginning of each year is to really create a team uh, and a sense of belonging. You call it a tribal classroom. Mm. I'm sure people listening, you know, many of you will have done this, maybe not even thought of it like this, but why is that so crucial, do you think? Uh, and what, what would it mean in practice? Maybe give us a couple of ideas. Yeah,
1: So, the, the term tribal classroom comes from Professor Louis Cozzolino. Mm. And he's written a book called The Social Neuroscience of Education. So reading that book was like a massive eye-opener for me. And, and what he says in, in that book is that for the majority of the last 100,000 years, modern humans have lived in hunter-gatherer tribes. And it's only in the last, say, 5,000 years have we moved from hunter-gatherer tribes to agricultural-based societies to the industrial-based societies we live in now. And he argues that although 5,000 years seems like a huge amount of time, in terms of biological evolution, it's the blink of an eye. And so he says that we are deeply rooted in our tribal past and that teachers and schools that can kind of create tribal classrooms and tap into children's what he calls primitive social instincts can achieve amazing things in even really difficult educational settings. So essentially, we're a tribal species. We feel happiest, safest when we feel like we're part of a tribe we learn the best it aids neuroplasticity when we Mm -hmm. feel like we're part of a group and belong so tribes and tribal classrooms are typically based on some kind of democratic leadership uh, cooperation teamwork fairness trust yeah and a sense of belonging like strong personal relationships are the fundamental part of being part of a tribe so if we can kind of um, foster tribal classrooms where those qualities are kind of brought to life then that massively benefits their learning children's learning and it also really fundamentally supports their happiness and well-being so yeah one of the first things i do at the beginning of an academic year is get my class to think about what it means to be part of a team yeah because that's our way of kind of bringing a tribe to life typically show them a video montage of team gb performing amazing Mm. things at at an olympics reason i choose team gb is because there's male and female role models and there's athletes from all different colors creeds faiths so it's i think really
0: diverse, diverse and diverse yeah and
1: that hopefully someone in my class will see an athlete that they could relate to mm. yeah and i show them this montage and i just say what do you what values do you think you need to be part of a successful team like team gb and after the video we have a discussion I'll scrub some on the board so it might be friendship trust honesty hard work Mm. perseverance all of these kind of terms get the children to choose a word that resonates with them on a piece of plain paper write it in bold color it in and we piece all 30 parts together to create one big kind of team flag Mm. and then whatever our class was called before that so my class is named after artists we move from being Class Picasso to Team Picasso. And and the team flag really is a symbol that everyone belongs, that you might have just created one small part of that mm-hmm. flag, but you're part of a something bigger than just yourself, that those are our values that we're trying to live up to and that it's a work in progress. So we're not always going to be honest and hardworking and part right. of a team. Every day we're working towards yeah. being a good team. The success of our team relies on every single member mm. contributing their part. But also tribal classrooms about all those micro moments, the little conversations, the Mm -hmm. greeting. So I now every morning greet my class at the door with a smile and an offer of a handshake. And that is that's nothing revolutionary. I like the
0: way you say offer of handshake. Yeah, because it's <laughs> up to not them. all yeah, it's you up know, up to some them children
1: then. have issues with touch. So they yeah, don't want to yeah. be and that's I is, know what you mean though. An it's an invitation. It's,
0: you're here, you are y- yeah. you belong, you, yes. you're part of this group. Yeah.
1: And the other good thing about that is that, that greeting in the morning allows me to pick up on those again, micro expressions that signal to me that this particular child isn't in a great place. Mm-hmm. And just to keep an eye on that. And Mm. sometimes children's moods change all by themselves with no intervention needed. Like someone comes in feeling a bit Mm. wobbly. And then by the end of that English lesson, they're fine. Yeah. And then other times that mood lingers. And it might be that during a break time or, you Mm. know, on the way to assembly, I might just take them to one side and just have a chat with them. But those interactions, everything that is about fostering those relationships is fundamental to, to tribal classrooms.
0: Looking at curriculum now, you know, the, the actual sort of bread and butter, subjects, the subject learning, can that support children's well-being in any way?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the Foresight Mental Capital and Well-Being Project that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, one of the things that came from that was the five ways to well-being, mm. kind of evidence-based ways to improve the quality and well-being of people's lives. And one of the five strands is learning new things. So like learning, learning is yes. fundamental to well-being. So when you've got a curriculum that is interesting, yeah. that is, I think, important, relevant to children's lives, then that fundamentally nourishes children. Like we want to, we're a species that learns, we want to learn. The curriculum must also be kind of challenging
0: You talk about stretch zones. Yeah, I I mean, we try and build that into our curriculum.
1: Yeah, we, again, are a species that want to be challenged. We want to problem solve. And when we can overcome obstacles or complete Mm. challenging work or master stuff that originally found really tricky, that has an immense sense of satisfaction. Yeah, We mentioned earlier that when you take part in kind of challenging activities and challenging work provided by a good curriculum, you're most likely to experience flow which is when you lose sense of yourself, you're fully absorbed in in a task and activity. And the great thing about that is when you're fully absorbed in work like that, that's challenging and absorbing, you forget about, you're you're not aware of the worries and stresses and strains of other things that are going on in your life. So it's really important that our curriculum does give children that ability to immerse themselves in it. But I also think it's important that... Children know what the point is of what we're teaching them. And that can be made clear either by the teacher or studies show that if you get children to reflect on their learning and think, how might this be relevant to your lives? Actually, that process is really good for them. And also overall, is it enjoyable? It can't, I'm not for one second saying that all learning has to be enjoyable and pleasurable the whole time. That's not feasible. But overall, I think we should be enjoying what we're learning.
0: I couldn't agree more with you because we, we, you know, the feedback we get a lot is engagement. It can be, you know, some people almost saying, oh, engagement, you know, Mm. it's not as important, but when the children engage and know the purpose, the context. One head teacher told me from Kentmere, she's seen the children come into school with real purpose. They mm. know what they're learning and why they're learning it, and so they're just switched on. Mm. And yeah. yeah, it is extremely yeah. important.
1: Um, so yeah, I think a, a well-planned, well-intentioned curriculum can definitely support children's well-being, and it's also really important to teach well-being like if I'm teaching content that I think is interesting it's relevant to children I see the purpose in it I then get pleasure as the teacher delivering that content Mm. seeing the engagement of my class getting their responses and their Mm. questions and stretching them and that is fundamentally satisfying
0: Something else you mentioned in your book which we really believe in is curriculum that that develops links with the community yeah. and maybe looking at charities to support mm-hmm. through the curriculum projects that they're doing. Getting children outside, you know, it's nice to see you've mentioned those in your book because they do give children a sense of belonging and place. Mm. And also they're about well-being because they're about altruism or kindness and we're very interested in how well-being can be taught through curriculum content, but also in your way, you're actually specifically teaching well-being skills as well. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I would also add that as part of that curriculum, you could have a well-being curriculum. It can be interwoven through yeah. your normal curriculum, but it also could be a, a kind of separate yeah. discipline.
0: Like the Daily Mile is something that's been really popular as a physical intervention yeah. but it becomes part of your curriculum offer that's mm. what we offer at school and there are reasons why we do it and the impact is there isn't it it's, yeah. been, it's been shown it's all very very important work that we're talking about here but we know the reality that teachers have a very tight timetables and they're having to sort of juggle what they fit in where have you got any practical tips for how they can fit in well-being I don't want to say interventions it's practices mm. isn't it yeah. really yeah
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say, and it's something that I've adopted, is that by taking small amounts of time away from traditional subjects to to focus on well-being practices, it means that the rest of the time in that lesson... So say if you took five minutes out of a science lesson and you had 50 minutes left, that 50 minutes has the potential to go a lot better than without that Mm. well-being. So like the Daily Mile, for example it takes 10 to 15 minutes a day, so which means that's gonna be 10 to 15 minutes out of some lessons that day. Mm. But the studies show that regular exercise improves brain functioning which means you're likely to have students that are able to pay better attention and learn more
0: well didn't elaine school in scotland was it in scotland i think she's the head teacher there i saw that their results went up since yeah. she was doing it and the obesity levels went down there was a huge impact from doing very little mm. amounts yeah yeah
1: so that's that's kind of what i want to set the, the start that don't be so tight and rigid that you know oh we've got this curriculum we've got so much to teach Mm. that I don't have time for any of this other stuff well actually this other stuff that we Mm. might call well-being is going to help with all of your academic learning your academic curriculum yeah Yeah. I always have a daily mindfulness practice so straight after the register in the morning we do like a three-minute mindfulness practice
0: and that might sound scary to those of you listening who've never done or have heard about this and think it's deep meditation, yeah. but it could be as simple as counting breaths or yeah. or a sound one, couldn't it? Just listening yeah. to different sounds.
1: Yeah, there's loads of practices you can find online. I've got some practices in my book. Essentially, mindfulness is about children tuning in in the present moment to their present moment experience. So it could be tuning into body sensations, their in-breath and out-breath, mm. uh, but with attitudes of kindness and curiosity so we're trying to move away from our tendency to judge yeah. our experiences like oh, i can't do this yeah. I'm, I'm
0: not counting my breaths yeah
1: so you know that's in my experience like a three minute practice mm-hmm. so straight after register and because we do it in the morning it kind of sets the tone for. The do rest you really of day. find that
0: then that once you've done that can you see the impact of of the mindfulness on the yeah,
1: children definitely and what's interesting is that it's often the children that remind me that we haven't done a mindfulness practice <laughs> yeah. And often sometimes the children that are Mm. most lively as well. (laughs) There's an activity called What Went Well, which is basically the end of a week. We reflect back over our week for things that have gone well for us, things that we've enjoyed, small things. So it could be a tasty lunch, could be a game we played at playtime, could be a Mm. lesson that we really enjoyed. And we write down three things that went well for us that week. And each member of class shares one of their three good things. And it goes up on a What Went Well display that takes 15 minutes yeah. uh, on a Friday afternoon. Um, so those are kind of a few, like literally a scattering of the activities you could take from my book. And there are many more in there. But, you know, your day-to-day lessons kind of incorporate well-being. We kind of touched on, upon that when we talked about a curriculum. If your lessons are challenging and mm. engaging, if you're able to kind of stretch your learners so they can go kind of further and deeper with their learning, mm. that massively enriches their lives and their well-being. The feedback that you give them and how you give feedback can support and nourish relationships, which are, again, fundamental to children's ability to learn and, and also feel good within themselves and underneath everything. And this is why chapter one in my book is the tribal classrooms chapter. Strong personal relationships should be a bedrock of your classroom practice. So making sure that children feel like they belong, making sure that you foster a sense in your class where children become supportive teammates for one another. Mm. That friendship issues are addressed and supported to be resolved, that bullying, any incidents of bullying are immediately dealt with so they don't turn into anything larger Mm. than that. So tight timetables do not restrict you from incorporating these ideas. Particularly um, if
0: you think of them as priorities, like you're exactly. saying, you've said all the the benefits, but this is investment time, mm. isn't it? And if you, like you say, if you can get the relationships and, and children feeling more secure, then, you know, you could do all the English and maths you want. But if that child's stressing internally, yeah. then I suppose, I don't know the words for all the, the parts of the brain, um, but... Um, if you're fired up if you're i know for myself if i'm very stressed i can't focus Mm. particularly well and i won't perform my best and i know in your book you do cite you know uh, you know there's studies that show that yeah so in a way it's investing isn't Mm. it and giving children the tools to have a more productive and and happier time at at school
1: you're right i think it's about changing your perspective on well-being in the it needs to be given the same status as academic learning. It is as core and fundamental to a child's experience of school as anything else. And when you change that perspective, the activities that you could do, the the changes you might make to your classroom practice, they're not add-ons and they're not mm, something else to, to do. They are fundamental aspects of your teaching practice. And when you start to build them in and they become part of your teaching routine, you know, the curriculum feels less packed. Mm. You've got more time to do the stuff you really want to do. And from my experience, teaching happiness and well-being and incorporating it into the, your curriculum and into your daily teaching practice, it fundamentally enriches my experience of being a teacher. I feel like I'm genuinely positively impacting my children's mm-hmm. lives, not only teaching them a, a rich academic curriculum, but also teaching them skills that I've, and knowledge that I feel will help them in their lives now, but also in the future, particularly in a a more stressful and challenging society environment um, as they get older.
0: What do you think is going to happen or what do you think should happen then in in terms of education in in England?
1: I think there have been some positive uh, changes on a kind of policy level. So the government green paper that came out a year, a couple of years ago, Mm. with a greater focus on The importance of mental health in schools so that was talking about having a mental health lead in every school by 2025 Mm -hmm. i think also the ofsted changes to their framework where they're going to be placing a greater focus on what schools are doing for pupils personal development and in that comes what schools are doing to develop good mental health in their students and increasing mm. their levels of resilience and character, things like that.
0: And they also mentioned teacher well-being yes. as well, don't they, and how leadership need to keep an eye on that. Yeah, so and also to... from
1: 2020, relationship educations mm. are going to be compulsory in schools. So all of that, I think, is setting the, the foundations for schools to place a greater emphasis on it. Uh, the UK is actually leading the way in terms of, one, reducing stigma of mental health issues like there was a, a report done recently and the uk is partly because Hooray! of, yeah we're actually yeah <laughs> we're actually leading the way in in, in an area
0: That's and it, good it's good to know it's
1: probably because of people like the, the royal princes and the heads together yeah. campaign there's things like that that are raising the profile that it's okay to share and talk about if you've had mental health issues good. and it transpires that pretty much all of us have at some point in our lives There's an increase in mental health first aiders in schools, organisations like Place to Be, placing counsellors in schools. Obviously, this is for children that are maybe struggling a bit more, but that's fundamentally important that we reach these children before they fall off the cliff edge Mm. of mental health difficulties. Anna Freud, National Centre for Children and Families, have the Schools in Mind Network. They're creating amazing resources for schools to talk about mental health but promote well-being so there's there is loads happening mm. that schools are having access to organizations resources to promote good mental health to promote well-being and in the times of kind of tight budgetary constraints it doesn't have to be massively expensive so like for example the daily mile is a free intervention
0: well most of the things you talk yeah not, the schools in network of it, is free resources yeah. for
1: schools So, yeah, I think I think things are heading in the right direction and we're slowly picking up momentum. Yeah,
0: good. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Adrian. Mm. It's a really, really important topic. And I, like you, I feel that with this in place in schools and teachers across the land trying these things out, but also looking at their own well-being and feeling more supported. Thank you ever so much. I'm really grateful of your time. Ah, thanks for having me. And if you'd like to follow Adrian, um, you have Twitter, don't you, on yeah, Twitter?
1: At Adrian Bethune on Twitter.
0: And you've got a website, haven't you? The happiness, is it's it Teach, teach Happy? teachhappy, yeah. with
1: one h, dot co dot uk. Teach Happy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you've got resources on there for teachers and heads, haven't you? Yeah, and um,
1: blogs and videos some videos and fantastic
0: yeah. and uh, in in your book you mentioned the BBC there's a archived collection of films about uh, little videos about the brain yeah. which sound amazing BBC so BBC
1: brain do, smart there you go so, you so Google do them
0: That's it. So do check them out if you want to teach children about the brain, because that's a great place to start. And thank you again. I hope that's given you, the listener, lots of food for thought and tips for making this an enjoyable and necessary priority in your school that works for you and your children. So thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, it's goodbye.